Oh, okay, good. Very good. Uh, well, next week is Purim, obviously. You know, and uh, Purim is really a very special day. In fact, I, you know, it's funny, I had asked a question, I never really answered it. I remembered that I forgot to answer it. But it's really a very important idea, you know. So I think it would be very nice to answer that because <coughs> it does have significance in terms of this, uh, you know, uh, Ador. Uh, you know, hopefully what will be happening in Ador and so on, you know. But um, I asked the question, why do we have two days of Purim? You know, if you have a, a, a you know, a, uh, if you're making war with a country, right, and the war continues, you know, obviously, for a couple of days, whatever, so when you finally celebrate the victory, well, you celebrate the victory, you know, it's like uh, you, you take one day when the victory is over, or when the victory has been achieved, and you then celebrate that, you know, and so on. But it's basically one day. You don't have two days, you know. Now, we know that Purim, the victory, the war was, uh, you know, the 13th of Adar, and they, uh, the victory was in the 14th of Adar. So we celebrate the war, the war, the victory of the war in the 14th of Adar, you know. And that's the same idea, you know. Um, <clears throat> in the uh, the the, uh, the war continued in Shushan, which was the capital of Persia. One more day, you see, and they won on that day also. So they had another war where they continued the war on the 14th of Adar, and the victory was in the 15th of Adar. So it comes out that there were, it's the same war, right? And the war was, um, like I say, same war, same country. It's just that it took, uh, the war extended, you know, for two days instead of one. You know, so Chazal decided, uh, Chazal decided that they want to make Purim for two days. <coughs> and one of the days, of course, is the 14th of Adar, because that was the victory over Persia in general, right? And the second uh, war, or rather the same war, but the extension of that war was the 15th, the 14th of Adar, and they celebrated that victory, right, in the uh, 15th of Adar. So they decided that they're going to make two days. One is going to be the 14th of Adar for all those cities, right, uh, that had the victory on the 14th of Adar. And they're going to celebrate the 15th of Adar. And they're going to have that victory, right, on the 15th of Adar. So the question, of course, is why? Why make two days just because the war extended to another 
uh, another day, so you make two days? I mean, I'm sure those people who love to drink, they would appreciate that. Because it means another day of Adeloyota, where you, you have to get drunk to the extent, right, where you don't know the difference between Boruch Morchai, Blessed Morchai, and Orohomon, Curse the So when you reach the state of being inebriated, right, that, to that extent, right, so as a result of that, you have another day. So the question is, why did Chazal do that? And not only that, but they also said that, well, Shushan was a walled city. You see, so they said that any, uh, any town in Israel that had walled cities, or actually any town anywhere that had a walled city like Shushan, would also celebrate it on the 15th of Ador and not on the 14th. So that's the question. Why do that? Why make two days? <coughs> now, so what are we going to assume? That the rabbi just did it? Another day of celebration? You know? And since Shushan, which was the capital of Persia in those days, right? Just because they did it on two days, does that mean we have to have another day of celebration? Doesn't seem to be a valid reason, you know, to justify having two days. Not at all. So we really have to examine why. And the truth is that the reason why is a very profound idea. And what it does is it tells us what the victory really is. You see, because people would say, well, the victory, obviously, is what? Is a rescue. The Jews were destined to die, all of them, because that's what Haman wanted to do. He wanted to kill all the Jews, which itself is incredible, right? He wanted to kill all the Jews. And uh, as a result of that, they fought against the Persians. So one major part of the war is Persia itself. And remember, Ahasuerus had 127 Medinas, 127 countries that were that was under his subjugation. He was an incredible ruler. I mean, really, he ruled the entire world. <coughs> In fact, historically, the last time that the Jews were under one king, so therefore that Gezerah is possible, right? Where all the Jews are under one king, and therefore they could be killed with one Gezerah, was Purim. That's it. After that, the Jews were spread out all over, right? And therefore, as a result of that, you couldn't kill all the Jews because they were spread out into many different kingdoms. But the last real kingdom that uh, they had that was under one sovereign king was, was uh, Persia. Persia was a, a world-class ruler, you see. So that is, that, that's the real question. One, why make two days? Just because they extended the war, so what? And why, what's the significance of a walled city? I mean, what are they doing? 
they're looking for a, uh, a commonality here. So therefore they picked the commonality of a walled city, you see. Or just something deeper than that. And what I want to bring out is what the real Hatsola really is. What is the real rescue? Because ostensibly, Purim looks like a rescue of the Jewish people. Right? Looks like a rescue. They were doomed to die on the Xera of Haman and Nachashverosh. Right? And all of a sudden they were saved. So they were saved from genocide. What do you think about it? You see. So is that what really Purim is about? The concept of a rescue? Or is there something much deeper what the real war is? So what Purim is, it's a story of the real war, you see. And how do we understand the real war? And then you'll understand why there are two days. Because there's two aspects to this war. It's true that the Jewish people in general were saved, but there's really two different wars. What does that mean? Well, what's important to understand that everything that happens historically to the Jewish people happens because what the Russian does is he makes events happen in order to satisfy a spiritual mission of the Jews. Right, that's what it is. The Jews are put into a certain environment, climate, where they are tested in a certain way to see where, where they would stand the test. And if they would stand the test, they would have accomplished a major, right, a major uh, mission, you see. If they don't do it, <coughs> so what the Rambam does is he has to recreate the exact environment again, historically, later on. So the Jews are again tested to see if they would stand there. So then God brings a incident which was similar to the first in order for the Jews to withstand that mission. And that would be considered as if they had, um, you know, d d done the job of uh, being successful in accomplishing their mission. That's really what happened in Purim. In other words, the origin of Purim did not lie in approximately 400 BCE, which basically when the Persian Empire ruled the world, doesn't lie there. It lies 800 years earlier maybe 900. What was that? Well, what that really was is that the people in the, in the uh, world, right, the Jewish people in the world had a certain mission. And that's really what the Jews had to accomplish, which they failed. What was that failure? Well, it all goes to Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, the giving of the law. Now it says that when the Jews were given the Torah, so they answered Nasir and Nishma. They said, we will do Nasir, and then Vinishma, then we will understand. So what the Jews did is unusual. They agreed to a contract between 
them and God, even though they didn't know it was in the contract. I mean, nobody does that. But the Jews did. Because that was the tremendous emunah, belief and betochen and trust in God. That they would say, well, whatever God gives us, we will accept. Because it has to be for our benefit. It's a very important concept. So what they did is they accepted the Torah. Nasev and Ishma. We will do, right? And we will uh, accept, which means we will then understand the Torah. That's what the Jews did, you see. <clears throat> which was a tremendous, what's called Kabolo, a tremendous reception on a very high Madriga level of acceptance of the Torah. But then it says, right, Vayichan Yisrael and Israel encamped underneath the mountain, or I should say, opposite the mountain. So Chazal learned from there, from that Pasuk, that Israel encamped, right, opposite the mountain, right, that what God did is He took Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, the whole mountain, and He ripped it off its base, which obviously only, only God can do, and He put it over the heads of all the Jewish people, and He said, if you accept the oral law, if you accept the Torah, right, then I will, uh, it will be very good. But if not, I'm going to drop the mountain on all of you, and all of you will die. So that is what's called an existential dilemma. Obviously, you know, they have to accept the Torah. Now, Chazal asks, but wait a minute. We know that they accepted the Torah, right? Nasa Vinishma. And now we see that they accepted the Torah, not out of love. Obviously, they accepted the Torah out of fear, they were going to die. So Titus asks, how can that be? It's a contradiction. So he answers, I mean, there are different answers, but Titus' answer, which is probably the most accurate, is that they accepted the written law, right? They accepted the written law, but not the oral law. They didn't accept it. They didn't want it. You see? So God said, nope. You must accept the oral law as well as the written law. Because the oral law is the explanations of the written law and also an enormous amount of details which are in the written law. So God said you must accept that. If not, then all of you will die. So that so that's, that that's what they did. So when it says that he put the mountain on top of them, right? He put the mountain on top of them, they accepted the oral law at that moment also because of fear of death Titus answers that that's why it has two different opposing verses <clears throat> you see now what that means basically is what is that part of the Torah was accepted out of love but part of the Torah was completely rejected it was rejected you know and God said, you must accept the oral law. Now we could say, wait a minute, the Goyim could say also the same thing, right? The Goyim could say, well, had you forced us to accept the Torah, 
We also would have accepted the Torah, but you didn't. You gave us free choice. Ah, so you gave us free choice. We rejected it. So why didn't the Goyim could say, why didn't you, uh, why didn't you uh, do that to us, where you would force us to accept the Torah? Valid, very valid question. Goyim could say that. So the answer, obviously, uh, is had they rejected the written law, then God would not have forced them. It would have moved on to, for some other nation to do the learn the Torah and do the mitzvahs. You see, because if they if they rejected the written Torah, then He's not going to force them to take the oral Torah. However, <coughs> however, since the Jews accepted the written Torah, so then God said, "Nope, you accepted the written Torah out of love." You must accept the oral Torah. Whereas the Goyim never accepted the written Torah at all. In fact, there's a whole Midrashim that God went around to the different nations of the world, right? And they rejected the written Torah. So God said, well, if you reject the written Torah, then there's nothing to talk about. Then I'm not going to force you to take the oral Torah. Because the whole concept of a written Torah, you guys don't understand. That's why... God forced them, compulsion, to take the written, to take the oral law. That's the difference. You see. In any case, so the question is, wait a minute, but that is what's called a pagam. That is called a defect in some type of spiritual omission, necessity. Because part of the spiritual task of the Jew is to accept the written Torah as well as the oral Torah not just the written Torah and that brings a tremendous tikkun to the world it brings a tremendous rectification to the world and it brings down a tremendous Kabbalistic spheres where the world now achieves a tremendous uh, validation because the Jews accepted everything. But since the Jews did not accept the oral Torah, then they are deficient in the acceptance of the oral Torah, which is very, very bad. You see, it's a tremendous defect in part of the tikkun, uh, the, the uh, reconstruction of the universe of the whole Bria. So therefore God said, because you did not accept the oral Torah, I'm going to set up a historical event, right, which is very similar to Mountain Torah, right, and again you will be tested. And in that time, you will accept the oral law, you see. Uh, so God created a situation which only He can do in which the Jews would come to learn their tremendous error of thinking. So the question is, what's the, uh, what kind of a historical event would that be? Well, in order to answer that, you really have to think about well, why would the Jews reject the oral law? I mean, if they accepted 613 commandments, why would they reject 
the oral law. You see? So the answer to that is very interesting. Because the Jews in, that in those days failed to realize that laws are made for two reasons. Okay? Laws are made to benefit society. Civilization needs to exist. So therefore they need laws, rules, regulations in order for society to exist, in order for people to get along with each other and be able to live together <coughs> with each other. Right? They need laws. Therefore Western civilization basically is a nation of laws. And through laws the mankind can regulate themselves and live in peace and harmony, you see. But laws are made also, besides the preservation of society, right? Laws are also made to achieve a spiritual mission, right? A mission where you are commanded to achieve certain spiritual necessities, the problem was in those days, what, would the, what did the Jews say? Here's what they said. We could understand, you know, we could understand why you have many, many mitzvahs of the Torah. Right? We could understand that. Right? Because the Jews are a spiritual people. We have a spiritual mission. Right? To believe in God. To believe in His sovereignty. Right? And to do the mitzvahs. And that will get us into Ilm Habo. Well, that's, that, that, those laws are not laws to allow you to exist, right, in that sense, civilization to exist. They are laws that will allow you to become spiritual, holy, or righteous, you see. So we can understand that, you know. But why do you have to have so many laws, right, that seem to benefit society because if you think about it all, you know, all nations basically have laws or else how could they exist there would be complete anarchy and chaos if there were no laws it would be might makes right called down as they say right where, where, who's ever stronger that person will subdue others you see so we can understand you know why there are mitzvahs for spiritual tasks or goals. But why do you have to have so many laws that clearly are for the benefit of societal reasons? You know, for instance, you know, laws of damages, divorce, marriage. You know, there are many mitzvahs that are basically judicial. Or basically, they are in order to man, mankind to live together. Why can't we just whatever nation we're in, why can't we make up the laws, just like all nations make up laws, how to exist together? And as a result of that, right, those are the mitzvahs that we will do. Why does the mitzvahs of societal existence, why does it have to be part of the Torah, you see, which automatically places those mitzvahs at a whole different level of elevation, we were talking here about achieving Ulim Habo, the future world, 
That's what we're talking about. <coughs> which is, <coughs> which is, you know, to get close to God, Tvekas, to get close to God. And, because that's the whole point of Ulam Habra, you know. So, in order to do that, we don't need all these mitzvahs, which are clearly for the benefit of societal preservation or societal existence. That's what they didn't grasp, you see. So that's why they rejected the oral law, which basically has all those mitzvahs, details, the numerous, numerous details. This is what they did, you see. So therefore, the Jews rejected the oral Torah as not really being essential. You see, you don't need the oral Torah, basically. I mean, I accept, except obviously, where you need explanations of the mitzvahs. But there's a great deal of mitzvahs that you don't really need. They are for societal existence. So what do we have to do them for? You know, that's a very important question. What is the purpose of the law? So we look at the purpose of law is that society can exist or mankind can live together as a society because they're all law-abiding, right? They all have restrictions in order how to behave, you see? Why do we need so many mitzvahs in the oral Torah, you see, which is enormously adds to the amount of laws that, that God gave in the oral Torah? Just take a look at the Shochanach, you know, which consists of biblical laws, right? Biblical laws. It consists of rabbinical laws, the Drabonon. And it consists of minhagim, community laws, customs, and so on, you know. Three of them. That enormously adds to the Shulchan Aruch, enormously. So that's what the people didn't understand. So God said, I will show you in the end, you know, that any law which is made for the benefit of society can be broken, can be violated, if it doesn't interfere with the society existing. Because what it really is, is for the convenience of society. It's not because they have a spiritual mission. No, not at all. You see? The purpose of the laws is society to exist. And by the way, that's called legal. American law is not just. It's legal. You know, Lady, uh, lady Justice, you know, whatever, when she goes on the, is depicted as a woman that is blind. So it's supposed to be that you're not supposed to look at the litigants. Right? You look at the cause. See, you look at what's right, just. But it's not true. The reason why Lady Justice is blind, because she doesn't see justice. It's all about what benefits society to, to exist. It's legal issue, not justice. And we know in the Torah it says, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdov, you shall surely pursue justice, you see, because the purpose of that justice is spiritual. It's part of the requirement of behavior. And behavior is what the mitzvahs are all about. The spiritual, the spirituality of man, of the Jews, is all about spirituality. That is the basis. And justice is spiritual because it consists of the right behavior. 
what God's mitzvahs really are is the right or correct behavior. You see, these things are correct. And therefore, if they are correct, and therefore you are doing the right behavior, well, guess what? That's called justice. That's called the right behavior. And therefore, that right behavior leads to spirituality. You see, in fact, what's interesting is there's an insecta in Shas called Turkey of us. Ethics of the Father, I think is what they call it, and so on. Enervates <coughs> yourself. <coughs> what is that all about? You know, it's not laws, you know, in terms of damages or laws of the base amygdos or holidays. No. Perkyovitz is all about correct behavior. What you're supposed to do in terms of acting the correct way. And what we have to understand is that itself is part of spirituality. Spirituality is not just doing a mitzvah, for instance, putting on film, but it's doing the mitzvah itself that leads to the correct behavior. And it is the correct behavior, right, that is what a mitzvah really is. And therefore, Perkyovitz is in Shas. It's part of the oral law, you see, so on. Because appropriate, correct behavior is part of the oral law. How you act determines what type of a person you are, you see. In any case, so God said, I, I must show you what you fail to understand, you see. In other words, I need you to accept the oral law through love, not through fear. Because the fact that the Jews accepted the oral law through fear is called a pagam. It's a defect. See, God wants them to accept out of love the oral law, you see. But in order to do that, the Rabbanishalim has to show the bankruptcy of legal systems, you see. Yes, the bankruptcy of legal systems. How in many ways they are unjust. Maybe sometimes they're even insane. Maybe take a look at what's happening in America. Society has now reached a level, you know, under what's happening, which is absolutely insane. You know, forget about justice, you know. Forget about legality. It's insane that anybody can marry anybody they want. is insane. It leads to the breakdown of civilization, you see. For anybody to violate what is correct behavior, justice, right, is insane. And that's what the Jews have to realize. And that's exactly what happened. When? Well, what happens? Ahasuerus meets with Haman. And Haman wants to get the Jews killed, all of them. Genocide, you see. So what he does is he meets with Ahasuerus. And he says, what do you want with these guys? These guys don't observe our religion. They don't observe our laws and so on and so forth. Why do you want them? We don't need them. And any tax money that you'll be missing, right, I will make up. I'll give you 10,000 talents of silver. He was a very wealthy man, obviously. I think he started to estimate that 10,000 talents of silver is $100 million in those days. See, and that's what he tells Ahasuerus. 
So could you imagine waiting up one morning and all of a sudden it has splattered all over the New York Times? The Jews have been decreed to die by the Congress. What do you think the Jewish people would, uh, how they would react to that? Could you imagine reading that in the New York Times, that there's now a death threat, that the whole country can kill Jews? You know, it's like a, a, a day of destruction. First, they would be shocked. Shocked. Because how in the world can that happen? Right? America is a legal country. America is a country that says that they observe the laws. So how in the world can they kill the Jews merely because somebody said, well, I'll give you cash. I'll give you a lot of money for this. Whatever happened to justice? Forget about legal. Where's the justice? So America would be shocked at this complete uh, abdication of justice, you see. And then they realize, of course, because the only real system of governance, right, the only real system of governance is what? Is the oral law. See, what they realize is that if you're not spiritual, then you're, you're higher, you're a behemoth, you see, because you can do away with all kinds of laws if they don't suit your purpose, you see, that's what they realized, why would a king, a Jew, the story, the story of the Megillah starts off with the Sauda, what greater way is there to demonstrate that the Jews were loyal citizens of Persia? They were patriots, loyal citizens, right? They paid their tax, observed the laws. That's what they did. They were very good. I'm sure they, very, they were very integrated in the business climate of Persia. It all of a sudden, because Ahasuerus is offered, right, some type of argument, you see, and money, he wants to commit genocide? What kind of a machine is this? That's what they realize. And what is the origin of this insanity? The origin of the insanity is the basic fundamental idea of the laws of civilization. That it's convenience. It happens to be that it will enable us, enable us to live as a society, you see. But don't think that this is the right behavior. No. That even the laws of justice has to be what? It has to be justice. Even those laws. Right? And not because it benefits society by allowing them to exist. No. The laws must be spiritual itself. Even those laws that benefit society have to be within the rubric of, of, uh, of existence. You see, that's the only way to do it. If the laws do not meet the ends of what? Of justice and spirituality, holiness, righteousness, then it's worthless. Because they can be abrogated, as they say. They can be ab abrogated any, any time, at the whims of anybody. That's what they realized. And where do we see that? Because it says a pasuk la Yehudim simcha, it should have just said, and to the Jews there was simcha, 
tremendous joy because they were now going to be rescued because of Esther and Mordechai and so on. It doesn't say that. It says, Enlightenment. What was the enlightenment? And that word, Oiro, is the secret of Purim where the Jews realized what exactly they had to do. They realized what is the basic fabric of the laws of civilization. You know where you really see this? You see this by Avram Avino and so on. Avram Avino went to uh, Abimelech, Plishtim, right? And he was going with his wife to the land of the Plishtim, right? And he knew she was a very beautiful woman. And they would, if they found out that he was married to her, they'd kill Avram and, 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 and Abimelech, right? Would want to take uh, Sarah for a wife. No kind of justice is that, right? It's insane. You kill the guy because you want to steal his wife, you see? So he told Sarah, look, I want you to say, you're my sister and not my wife, so I can live. And that's exactly what she did. Of course, God stepped in, right? And he punished the entire house of Yishmael, of, uh, not Yishmael, of Plishtim, right? Punished them. <coughs> by stopping up all their bathroom necessities and so on. <coughs> so he knew that there was something with Avram. So he went to Avram Avinu. He says, what did you do this for? Why did you tell me that Sarah was your sister? And therefore I took her, obviously, because she's a very pretty woman, right? And I would have committed a tremendous sin. Uh, so Avram Avinu said a very profound concept. He said, you know, I went to the land of the Plishtim and I saw uh, your laws are based, right, not on the Galilee, but on what? Your laws are based on convenience. That's the best way to be able to live. Your laws are not just, they're legal, which means they enable society to exist. Uh, what makes society just? Spirituality. Because <clears throat> justice is the correct behavior. And that's what God wants. Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdov. Justice, you, justice, you will perceive, uh, you will proceed, so on, you see. So he said a very important idea of Ramavino. He said, without fear of God, which means without the cognizance of spirituality, then your laws are basically worthless. Why? Because they don't take into account the individual mission of each person. They just take into account, right, the ability of society to exist as a nation. But if those rules, laws can be broken without tampering on the existence of society, of course they will be broken. So he told that to, uh, uh, you know, you know, you're the king, you can do whatever you want. So when it suits you to do this, you'll break the laws and you'll steal my wife. I realized that, so I had to say that she is really my sister, or else he'd kill me. This is what he said. And what Avram Avinu offered was a very profound concept. He said all politicians, in the end, they're all crooks. Why? Because 
if what governs the ideas of a politician is not spirituality, fear of God, if it's not justice, righteousness, holiness, then of course they can do whatever they want to convenience themselves as long as it doesn't break society. And that's exactly what they do. You know, you're lucky if a politician represents 10% of what his constituents want. You're lucky. Most of the time, 90% of what the constituents want is not even done by the politician that represents them. Right? Not done at all. What happens is, of course, is the guy does whatever he wants to do, primarily to get himself elected. You know, that's what they do. They're not interested in law, really. They're interested in them preserving their power base. In fact, I think they once said, when Johnson Johnson became president, said that he was being interviewed. So one of the reporters asked him, what was the first thing you thought about, right? What was the first thing you thought about after becoming president? And you're sitting in the Oval Office, right? You know, President, what occurs to you, the first thing that occurs to you? And you know what he answered? To keep my job. What do I have to do to keep my job? Which means that I will do anything, any course, to keep my job. But what does keeping your job have to do with justice? Nothing. And that's what the nature of all politicians, is to keep their job. And that has first priority over anything, you see. <coughs> and that's basically what Avraham Avinu told uh, the Christian. Your main job is to keep your job and enjoy life. Secondarily, it's to allow the Plishtim to write, to uh, secure the uh, unity of the Philistines. But really, enjoy life. And you try to do it as much as you can. That's what Avraham Avinu taught, you see. Uh, Avraham Avinu taught uh, Avinach. That's the problem with justice in the world. Laws of civilization are not for the benefit of society, even though they look that way. It's really for the benefit of the ruler. Therefore, they will bend any rule that interferes with them and their pleasure. You see, their fame and so on. So bend it, which is exactly what Avinelach did. You see. Uh, the Jews realize that. Rabbi, you're too very... low. If you could speak a little louder. Rabbi? Yes. Yes, you're too low. We can't hear you. How's it sound now? Much better. Continue. Thank you. Better? Is it better? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Much good. <clears throat> well, I'm also speaking with Laurel. Whatever. Anyway, this is the main idea of Purim. The realization of what life is really all about. The essential idea of life is the correct behavior. And the correct behavior 
is always about spirituality. And in spirituality is included all the correct behavior. For instance, the laws of divorce, the laws of marriage, the laws of, laws of what's called torts, civil damage, criminal law. All of this is all part of how to conduct yourself in a way which is very important, you see. That's all part of spirituality. It's not just to benefit society, right? And then spirituality is a whole different set of laws, observing Shabbos and so on. All of it together form the basis of Ruchmias. And that's what they didn't realize, and then they finally did realize. That's why Chazal say, Kimu Kiblu. In Megillah it says, Kimu, they fulfilled Kiblu, and they accepted. So Chazal say, that means they fulfilled that which they accepted previously out of fear they now accepted with love. So therefore that was a tikkun of the defect, the pagam, of not accepting the oral law. You see, <clears throat> and that's what they did. And that was a major defect. And that's why what's interesting is, you know, after all of this, you know, after Haman, you don't find Haman or any of the Amalekis ever again basically rise except by Hitler, Yamach Shemai, by Hitler, what he did and so on. And that's because we're at the end and Amalek is trying his best to survive. <clears throat> now, what does that mean? Here's why we have two days. Because there are two concepts in battling Haman, the evil of Haman. And the evil of Haman is what? is the aggrandizement of mankind, the gaiva, you see, where man wants to promote himself as a god, or he wants to become god, or he wants to kill god, whatever. Man always has that problem. Ah, so Chazal realized that God gave them a tremendous gift. What was the gift? That not only did God allow the Jewish people to overcome the enemies, the basic enemies, which are the evil of the Persians and so on. But he also allowed them, right, to overcome, right, the foundation itself. It's called the Yesoid, the actual foundation of evil. That means the Jews at that moment, and that's really what Purim is. It is a time when evil in its root was destroyed. You see, how did they realize? Because God gave them the ability to repel the invasion of Persia in general, all of it, all of it, all over Persia. But he especially gave them the ability to reject Haman, which is Shushan. Shushan is what? Is the capital of Persia. So what the Russians did is amazing. He gave them the ability to reject the evil. You see, the root of evil, the foundation of evil, and they realized that when God allowed them another day to kill the root of evil. So not only did God allow them to destroy or reject or repel the basics of evil in the sense of people, but he allowed them to destroy evil itself, and that is the destruction of Haman and his ten sons. Ah, you see, they're not just evil. They are the quintessential 
idea of evil. And in the end, that's really what the task of Purim is, that we went to war against evil incarnate itself. You see, <clears throat> and as a result of that, God gave us two gifts. One is to destroy evil in general, and evil, the second is evil at its very foundation itself. So they realized that, and therefore they said, well, the victory of Shushan is different than the victory of Persia. The victory of Persia is where the Jews have conquered evil, you see. But who says they conquered the root of evil, or the foundation of tumor of evil? But the fact that they killed all the ten sons of Haman, including Haman, and all of them, right? That itself tells you, right, that God gave them the ability to kill evil at its root, at its very macor. You see, very interesting concept. So they therefore decided that they have to make a holiday just for the, to destroy the roots of evil, you see, which is Shushanpur, you see. And they made it where it was a walled city because a water, a walled city is representative of Headquarters, right? <coughs> headquarters of any place always has surrounded by security and so on. So therefore they realized that the ability of the Jews to kill Haman and to kill many, many people in Shushan itself is representative of the zero of the Jews against evil in terms of the foundation of evil. That's why we celebrate two days. One is for the destruction of, in general, evil. You know, all the peripherals, all the, all the satellites of evil. Those people that want to harm us. And he also allowed us to destroy the root of evil, the nest itself. And that is Haman, right? And that is Haman and his ten sons. They were all destroyed, you see. So Devo Chazal said, okay, if that's the case, we have to have uh, this I, these ideas in f terms of a celebration of Purim. So what's important, Purim is not just about Hatzolo, which is rescue or salvation. The real concept of Purim is by Yehudim Ha'isa To the Jews there was Ura, right? There was uh, enlightenment <coughs> of what the true nature of not just the mitzvahs, but the true nature of all mitzvahs, which correct behavior, you see. So therefore, everything has to be understood, even though even civil laws or criminal laws and so on, all of that must be under the guidance or the direction of the, uh, the, the Torah laws. And that's what they realize. You can't reject the old law, you see, because it's all part of what the Jews have to do. And all of that is ruchnius. All of that is spirituality. You see, <clears throat> that's really what Purim is all, all about. And that's why we have two days, which is interesting. You see, that when you think about it, the major idea here is what? 
Shushan Purim, right? That's why Shushan Purim, which is the 15th day of Purim, right, is of special significance, right, uh, in the holidays of, uh, of, of Purim, you see. And that's why Lo Yavo, it says, and it will not pass. So they learn that you cannot have the reading or the celebration of Megillah after the 15th day of Adar. Why? Because the 15th day of Adar is the quintessential victory over evil itself, you see. And that's the significance of the second day of Purim. And that is why we celebrate it, you see. Because in the end, that's really what we have to do. We must uproot evil in general and uproot the foundation of evil itself, you see, by recognizing that all the laws of the Torah is part of the spiritual mission of the Jewish people. And it's not just a mitzvah that's obviously a mitzvah. It's all the laws of the Torah itself. You see, that is really what the Torah is teaching us with Purim. <clears throat> and obviously it was so important that Chazal said, we want a second day. So now you know what the real essential idea Purim. It lies in the second day of Purim. It's not an accident. <clears throat> you see, it's a record of the destruction of evil at its root which is the destruction of Haman. How does it affect us today? Well, we are in the month of Adar. Adar is a very holy month because it's an essential reflection. <coughs> it's a reflection of really what the, how the Jews have to look at their Torah. You see, like Yehudim they were tremendously enlightened and therefore they accepted the old law out of love which was a tremendous tikkun rectification of the begam the defect that they did 800 years before it's interesting and therefore since they did that therefore evil could be destroyed so it takes the realization of the importance of what the nature of Judaism is. Essentially, it's correct behavior, and that is spiritual, you see. But who defines spirituality? Now, who tells us what is spiritual? Who tells us what's correct behavior? And the answer is Torah. Everything that Torah is all about, correct behavior. And that's what the Jews realized. And what's interesting, I find, is that after the story of Purim, you never find really that uh, they were able to, you know, that Haman was able to come back as an Amaleki. That was, you don't hear about Amaleki at all after the story of Purim. And even though they do come back in the form of Hitler, that's really who he is, He's really an Amaleki, and so on, you know. <clears throat> uh, but even he needed a lot of assistance. Besides the German people, which were all basically murderers, because they all joined him. They all joined him in killing the Jews. 
We have a real book. It's called Hitler's Willing Ex- Executioners. Uh, it's a very fascinating book. It talks about that it wasn't just the Nazis. It was the German people. They were all voting or rooting for the destruction of the Jews. You see, so it was them also. You see, so just like this month, many years ago, evil was rooted out, right? We had tremendous amount of Satyadishmaya, divine assistance. Well, certainly let's hope that that's exactly what's going to happen today, that evil will be completely rooted out, that this month will we'll see the beginning of the redemption itself, and that starts off with rooting out evil, which in America is really terrible. They are destroying America and so on. You know, I've spoken about that, that extensively. So let's hope that finally God will say enough is enough and I have to begin to end the rule of this incredible dominance of Zoyama or the dominance of evil. Any questions? I have a question. So, is sure. there a pattern with um, the way is Hashem? What? Is there a pattern with the way Hashem yeah. destroys Amalek that He always puts them in such a high position um, to then fall down? Well, uh, the, as they say, the, the higher the rise, the greater is the fall. <laughs> right? And that's what he wants to do. If they never achieved any significance, that's a big deal. Uh, but when they rise to such an extent and they are utterly destroyed, you see, then the, the uh, lesson to be learned is tremendous. That, that's one of the reasons why in the end of time, you know, evil is completely dominant in the entire world. That's what happens. Why? Because that's one of the ways God displays His ultimate power and might. You see, because if God would destroy a, a small a person of small stature, okay, you know, okay, God is powerful, right? But if God destroys a kingdom, well, if God destroys one of the most powerful men of all, Haman, right? And who would believe that the guy was killed in one day from the time he went into Ahasuerus. Uh, you know, Ahasuerus is, um, uh, you know, uh, he asked him to, what would he, what would he do to reward a person that a king wants to reward? And of course he picked himself, which of course is insane, to arouse the suspicion of a king, especially a guy like Ahasuerus, who anyway wasn't a legitimate ruler of Persia. He wasn't, he, he was, he wasn't legitimate because he, he, he was not royalty himself. Just he took over. In any case, so that, that, that's what happened, you know. So God displays his awesome might by raising these guys to the top and all of a sudden in one fell swoop wiping them out. What is that? What greater demonstration is that of the might of God and the awesome potential of what God can do. I mean, think about it. Talmud was killed from one day to 
two days later was hanging from the rope. Would anybody ever predict that his end would be so abrupt? No. It's impossible. Yet if the Rebbe wants, in one day, the man went from the top to the bottom. So that is a pattern that God displays his awesome might by elevating the enemy or the tumor, the zoyamor, to the nth degree and then in one shot you knock them out. So that is a pattern that displays the majestic display of his incredible uh, rulership and dominion of all events. You see, Uh, before I end, I want to say this. This year should be a merit, uh, a merit and a blessing <coughs> for the health and success of the families of Regina Bas Yosef Ruvain and Yeshaya Ben Yisrael, Benjamin Wolf, Ben Tzvi Hesh, and uh, Boruch Ben Benjamin Wolf. It should be a merit, like I said, for their health and success. And they should have tremendous sight to dismay in all their activities. Anyway, that, that is the pattern that God does. Because in the end, the essential idea that what God wants to do is to do what? Is to demonstrate His awesome power. And one of the ways of doing that, like I was saying, is elevating these people to a tremendous degree and just completely demolishing them. You see, that's what He did to Parai. You know, here's Parai, Egypt, the greatest country in the world at that time. Hey, he just, he just crushed them. It was just absolutely incredible how he crushed Egypt. Imagine turning the Nile River to blood. And that's real blood. Imagine would that, that would have made the Blue Cross, you know, Red Cross, whatever. It would be incredible, real blood. Imagine the whole Nile River is real blood. How in the world do you do that? But that's what the Muslim does. And he crushed Egypt, right? Ten times, he crushed them. And then, of course, in the end, to really finish the job, <clears throat> he put in the mind of Parai to go after the Jews only for the purpose of destroying them. So you can imagine, you know, because if you think about it, the whole thing, it really doesn't make sense. If a nation or an army sees a sea split, right? Kriya Yamsev, it splits. What person, normal person, would go into the sea, you see? Uh, because the whole thing is abnormal. The whole thing is against nature. So since they don't even know why it's splitting, right? It can easily be undone, which is exactly what happened. It was undone, and they all died. Because that's what the Rosham does. He gets people to achieve insane things. Because he's a dic- the Rosham dictates, you know, all things, even in the thoughts of man and the desires of man. To do what? To demonstrate his awesome power. Ultimately, that's what he does. And that is why in the end of time, the Rosham is going to replicate what he did to Egypt. The Gula will come miraculously because that's the ultimate sign of the power of God. You 
Yitzi, where he will demonstrate the ultimate control of nature in every which way. You see? So there will be the ten miracles again, you see, to demonstrate the awesome power of God. You see? And that's what he did with Haman. He had Haman become the Grand Vizier, right? And then in one day, or two days, whatever, he killed him. It's astounding. Who would have predicted that political event where Haman is killed? You know, over what? But that's the awesome power of God. Anything else? Anybody else? Today also is the Hillel of And also, yes. also um, Esther Hamalka. Esther, yeah, of course, yeah. <clears throat> you know, what does it I mean? I once went exactly how special because you're saying how Adar is so well. Holy. I want, I want, I gave this as part of a previous year, but it's worth repeating. The truth is, if the Megillah had not written the story of Purim, I would never have believed it happened, because the likelihood that this could happen is almost nil. I give you just a whole bunch of examples. Okay, one, one idea, right. What man in his right mind would tell his wife to go undressed in front of all the subjects of the king? Is he out of his mind? I mean, she's his wife. Is this what he wants from his wife? Not only that, she's the queen. You destroy authority of the queen by having her in, in, in a way which is incredibly demeaning to anybody let alone to a queen, you see. Uh, not only that, she was his, uh, Vashti was his queen. But more than that, she was his legal, legal right to the throne because she was the granddaughter, I think, or the daughter or the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. So his whole legitimacy to the crown was Vashti. And by killing her, Right? He killed the only reason for him legitimately being king of what? Of uh, Persia. <clears throat> then the fact that he killed her itself is a ness. A person kills his wife because she denied that request. Is this guy normal? And he kills her? Then the king, Ahasuerus, right, he decides to marry a commoner. Nobody married Kings don't marry commoners. They marry people of high rank and privilege. They don't marry commoners. That self is a ness. Then there's another ness, right? What king has a beauty contest? You know, what kind of insanity is that? They usually marry people of other kingdoms to forge alliances, right? You don't, you don't offer a beauty contest. What kind of business is that? And then, of course, Esther wins. And Esther was an older woman. She was not a young woman. In fact, it, uh, it, uh, the Gemara says that she had a green complexion. But in any case, which is fascinating, so, you know, so Esther wins. Imagine, I think she was 70 years old. You know how many women she vied with in, in getting his, uh, winning the contest? I mean, you would have given her a zero. No book you would have taken a bet in Las Vegas, I guarantee you. Yet she won, right? And then Haman rises. 
of all the people in Persia who want to rise in prominence. He rises. That itself is incredible. And then Bixam Vesenesh, two Persian gods, that Mordechai happens to be exactly in their place. He listens. He knows the language. He listens. What, what, as they would say, what luck, right, that he was at the exact place, at the exact time that they were talking about the plot to kill the king. And then you have, of course, right before the party that Esther wants to make, he can't sleep. You see? Wow. King can't sleep. And that was very important because that set up the whole concept that uh, he would have to be demeaned. Homan would have to be demeaned. Right? And then, of course, he can't sleep. Right? So what does he have to do? So what do you do when you can't sleep? You take out the Chronicles of Persia and you read it. You mean you got nothing better to do but read the Chronicles of Egypt? And of course, the other miracle is it opens up to the exact page where it says that he never rewarded. Now, that itself is insane. How could that be? How could a king not reward a person for saving his life? It's incredible when you think about that. Yet the version made it that he wouldn't save his life and therefore he would owe him a favor. Right? And then, of course, Holman comes up with a suggestion. Well, of course, Guys could wear a crown, royal garments, and the royal horse. Is he insane? The first, you never arouse the suspicion of a king because they're always worried that somebody's going to kill them, take over the, take over the Malchus the kingdom, right? So that was the worst possible suggestion that he could do, right? That Haman can do, is arouse the, the suspicion of the king that he wants to take over, Right? Then, of course, Mordechai was the enemy of Homer. Right? He ascends. Not only does he ascend, but Homer, who was trying to destroy him, descends. Right? It's incredible. I mean, look at this. What kind of story is this, you know? You see? And because of that, he was tremendously embarrassed. And he already began to fall in the eyes of the king. Because he took Mordechai through the streets. You see, and then he couldn't wait, so uh, she gave him advice, right, his wife. Well, build a gallows 50 amas high. The guy couldn't wait until he got the decree. He had to build it now, which was very important because since it's already been built, <coughs> since it's already built, it can, there was no time to waste. You can kill him right away because you already have gallows 50 amas high, Right? So it was his own undoing that did it, right? And, uh, <laughs> and of course, at the party, you know, Esther accuses him of tremendous disloyalty, and all of a sudden he falls on her bed. Now that's the worst place to be when the king is mad at you, is to fall on the bed of his queen. You don't want to be seen there, right? That's exactly where he fell, on top of her, right? <laughs> then, of course, real bad luck is the guy walked in, Achashverosh walks in exactly when he's on the bed of the queen. Now, that's the worst possible place to be seen by the most powerful man in Persia on the bed with his wife, right? Then, of course, he had Charvalina, <laughs> who, 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 who informs 
the king, by the way, a guy built uh, eight gallows 50 yards high. You know, it, it's, it's just a series of events is astounding, you see. And then, of course, in, after this, Haman is hanged. I mean, this is the great, second greatest man in Persia. The guy was hanged in two days. Unbelievable. Talk about a change in luck, right? And then you have, uh, of course, Mordechai rises. The Jews are saved, but it's more than that. <coughs> He's saved. And that allows, you know, them to build the base Amigash. I mean, when you look at each one of these events, what was the probability of these events to happen? There is no probability. Maybe one thing could happen, but not a whole series of events, which is incredible. But that's what the Manshim does. He will make things happen, that incredible Hashkocha protest that only he could do. See? And that's also what they realize. These events happen with such speed, whatever, that everybody realized this is the hand of God. Only the Bajan could do all these events. You see, which also told you something else, that from now on, the Rabbanisham is going to act the Hester. That that's why the Gemara brings the Remes. Where is Esther Marumas in the Torah? Because there's a Hastia, Hastia, Polite, Behemahu. So the word Esther is in the, is in the Torah. So that's Remes, that in the days of Mordechai and Esther, right, <coughs> these people, there's going to be tremendous Hester of God. Because he will do everything he has to but in the form of tremendous concealment. Because that is now the new unhugger of the Rabbanisham, you see. So therefore, what Chazal realized is you have to have tremendous camaraderie. So they made, because we are the only one we have to be for ourselves. So they made Mishleach Monas, right? Food, and Matonis Levyoinim, right? And uh, all, all these things, are Suda, all of this is to uh, recognize that the whole Megillah is nothing more than the hand of God. <laughs> and that's what they realize, you see. And that's why they named the holiday Purim. Purim, which means lots, lottery. Why that? Because there's nothing greater than um, being exhibited by chance than a lottery. It's pure chance. So it looks like the whole story of Purim is a lottery because it looks like all of it was chance, as they pointed out, right? Yet they named it Purim because the way God conducts himself with Jews is all Hashgokha protest. You see, and that's, that's how it happens. So there are many lessons that come from Purim. Many. I only talked about the, why there are two days of Purim, what it means, you see, and also the miracles of Purim and so on, you know. That Purim is so great in terms of what it teaches the Jews, right, is that it will uh, be <coughs> on, they say that in the Messianic era, the only holiday that will be observed is Purim. Because the essential emuna belief of the Jew, is really Purim. It's where everything is spiritual, that is the essence of the laws of man. Even those laws that look like they're just torts, 
criminal law and so on, they also have to be the laws of God because that's the only real justice and that's what you have to observe, you see. So that really is what the, uh, in certain ways, it's an architectural plan, right, that allows Jews to see, if you look past the rescue story, it's really a story about the might of God and how he ultimately is in control with everything. You see? Okay. Anything else? Thank you, Rabbi. Okay. Great. Thank you, Rabbi. So, yes. You, you so show us how to answer now.